want to talk about something that is controversial and something I put a good deal of thought into lately. I want to look into political correctness and what's behind it. And it reminds me of my senior year in high school. And the year after that, I was, I was kind of a grammar Nazi. I took some sort of pleasure in catching people off guard when they would say who instead of whom, dangling prepositions or subject verb agreements, that kind of thing. I was a strange kid, I guess. And this sort of sifting of speech rather than actually listening to it definitely cost me some, some friends. And it's still a temptation, but for now, mostly I've stopped. I don't correct people. I usually do it just on the inside. Eventually, though, I learned that people are more than their grammar. People are more than their arguments, even. But, but why was I so enthralled by these rules, these English rules? And I think what's interesting about the idea of correctness is that it holds this allure. It's pointing to something other than the correctness itself. It's pointing to some sort of external fact, standard, or truth. And people like me who love that kind of stuff can get kind of caught up in our admiration for those truths and be difficult to live with. So if I have corrected you in the past, I apologize. I do find it useful, though, to remember this now, to remember that correctness doesn't exist on its own. It's referential. We can look at the correctness of a stormtrooper in executing his orders with exactness. But we can also look along correctness to see the nature of the standard that demands that kind of compliance. A stormtrooper can comply with his orders perfectly and be correct. But what of those orders? They're evil. So in this vein of thinking, thinking about correctness as adhering to a standard and what's that standard? I've been thinking about political correctness and what does that mean? What does it mean to be politically correct? What's the standard, truth or fact that we're complying to and why? So that part confuses me, but I'm not confused about what it actually looks like in the real world. I, I'm familiar with the manifestation of compliance. And a quick Google search tells me that political correctness is, quote, the avoidance often considered as taken to extremes of forms of expression or action that are perceived to exclude, marginalize, or insult groups of people who are socially disadvantaged or discriminated against. And that's the compliance that is and has been gaining traction across society. It's in elementary schools, HR trainings, news, movies, literature. It, it's just an accepted way to talk, it seems. But it's not like the way I was. The grammar Nazi catching people up for forgetting to say whom instead of who or miscalculating seven times seven for 42. Those are incorrect. They are inaccurate, but they don't carry a moral weight. But when you're called out for political incorrectness, it, it feels like there's a moral weight to it. It sure feels like there's some censure there. And I personally have no confusion about the dignity and sanctity of human life or the need for more understanding and respect. I, I'm, I feel well situated in my moral grounds for those values. 
But what I don't understand is the standard truth or fact that's behind this movement. You know, it, 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 since it's called political correctness, perhaps it could mean deference to political law, the law of the land, right? But if that were so, incorrectness would be criminal. And any infraction against the law, like getting pulled over for speeding on the freeway, would be considered a politically incorrect act. That doesn't seem right at all. So I'm still at a loss for this idea of political correctness. So I got some help. I talked to somebody who was much more familiar with it. I asked my brother-in-law, what does political correctness mean to you? How do you practice it? And I was genuine. I really wanted to understand. And he's a very kind, thoughtful person. And he explained to me that it's basically sensitivity. It means to be aware of the plight of the marginalized and to consider their perspective. They might see the world differently. They have demands for justice, fairness, and equality that have been denied. So we need to be sensitive to that and not be callous. And so I didn't stop there. <laughs> I do this. I, again, maybe this is a carryover from high school, just that, that annoying streak, I guess. But I was still seriously interested, and I asked, why? Why should I be sensitive? Why should I care? And I know that sounds like a flippant question, but it's not. It's, it's real because it's one thing to state facts that there has been discrimination and oppression. It's another statement or it's another thing to say, you ought not to think or say those things. They're not the same. And this is referred to in philosophy as the is-ought gap by uh, Scottish philosopher David Hume. And, and he pointed this out that we fall into an error when we create a moral value from a state of affairs. It's a sleight of hand when we assert that because something is or has been a certain way, that it ought or ought not to continue. He's trying to say, no, 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 no. The ought doesn't come from the is. And I think he's got a very valid point. So I, I'm not saying we can't make moral value statements. It's just that the moral doesn't come from the things themselves. It's, it, if it is just sensitivity, it seems to be snuggled in. So I really want to know what's that morality, that reason why. And if political correctness is pressuring people to comply, to care about the mistreatment groups of people, which I don't deny has happened, I just want to know what the moral basis is. And if it has good grounds, then I'll sign up. So I decided to continue thinking about it, about what the moral standard or value is that cries out for the kind of compliance that we found on Google, for the kind of compliance that we're familiar with. So let's take another look at sensitivity. We could say that political correctness is really just another phrase for this sensitivity to the pain of others and seeking not to inflict more pain. And I think that's a nice idea on the surface. But if speech is incorrect because it causes pain, then the logical opposite says that correct speech is what it is because it causes pleasure. And if that's so, if, if we really just say, you know, no, any speech that is insensitive or causes pain is, is wrong, then we really are on solid utilitarian ground. And this isn't really that 
much of a problem, perhaps. This isn't really that surprising. Utilitarians might be considered the original social justice warriors of the 1800s. They were advocating for parliamentary and prison reform. They thought that every woman should have full legal rights. They wanted greater government efficiency and accountability. And they saw around them the arbitrariness and the suffering that was caused by outdated legal codes, social standards, and they thought, man, there's got to be a more rational way to reduce this suffering. And so they came up with this, they, Jeremy Bentham, John Stuart Mill, the real developers of the doctrine of utilitarianism, came up with the idea that whatever is, what is, what is morally right is whatever yields the most good for the most number of people. And when you think about it, it's like, what could be more fair or impartial? What could be more benevolent and simple? But this is also ethical hedonism, right? Another phrase for it is consequentialism. However, it turns out determines if it was good. The, the ends justify the means, basically. And this kind of ethical hedonism is vacuously circular when we look at it, especially in regards to this idea of political correctness. So if we're going to be more sensitive to the minority's pain, wouldn't that decrease the majority's pleasure? And wouldn't that make it the morally wrong thing to do? And why would the majority care about the minority's pain as long as the rest of us, the majority, have pleasure? So it brings us back to the original question, why should I care? And if sensitivity is the only tool in our toolbox, well, you've got to factor in sensitivity to pleasure as well and the number of people involved. And if, you know, I just don't think it holds up as its own. There are things we should be sensitive to. You know, having sense, like sensitivity, keeps us from getting burned. But if it's just sensitivity, then you're just in the realm of what you can sense, pain and pleasure. And it's not a good moral yardstick, in my opinion. Another one, or another thing we might say that political correctness is, is progress a manifestation of or a vehicle for social progress. And this, in fact, was the proposition of a very interesting 2018 monk debate. Quote, be it resolved, what you call political correctness, I call progress. So that sounds good. Like, who's going to argue against progress? But the idea of progress implies a goal towards which we're moving. So I think we should ask, well, Progress towards what? What is the goal? When all the correction is over, where are we going to end up? And is that the kind of diversity we want? So I don't mean to sound like a relativist. I'm not saying that genuine progress isn't possible or hasn't happened in the past, but I kind of feel like I'm a TSA agent who caught someone smuggling in a water bottle in their carry-on bag. It's that calling political correctness as progress, it smuggles in an idea of good. It smuggles in this idea of a goal that doesn't define what it is. Perhaps it's equality. Perhaps it's justice. That's the thing. I don't know what, I don't really know what the goal is. That's what this whole thing is about. It could be anything. And even, you know, progress towards the edge of a cliff is still progress. And if you're making progress in the wrong direction, real progress would be to turn around and make anti-progress, <laughs> whatever we call that. And I, I just think it's important to remember we don't make progress for the sake of progress, but to get to somewhere that makes it worth it. You know, we're not sensitive for the sake of sensitivity, but to feel something that's worth feeling. 
So maybe it's not progress. Maybe we need to think about it as, okay, maybe it's respect. Maybe political correctness is another way of establishing or showing respect and politeness. And if, if that isn't true, then what's the difference between political correctness and respect? I've thought about this a lot. One seems to demand your conformity to thoughts and speech in the name of justice and fairness as a consequence of recent historical events that have affected categories of people like ethnicity, race, gender, religion, etc. Another beckons you to value a person as special, not because of any category or historical happening, but to see them as an end in and of themselves and not as a mere political unit or a means. And someone could say, well, maybe political correctness in demanding your conformity leads you to valuing a person as special. Maybe the former leads to the latter. I don't think that follows any more than cutting down a forest leads to irrigating a desert. You know, like you can be outwardly conforming while nurturing disrespectful thoughts on the inside. And I think that's the real danger of equating something that is characterized by compliance as a value, because then there's no inner life. If you're outwardly conforming, that's all that counts. As long as your tongue complies, your PC, your political correctness treatment is complete. It's kind of like an emissions test on your car. If you pass that emissions test, you pass. Never mind that your engine might be, you know, ready to explode or that your car is filthy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a good indicator of overall moral uh, respect. And I thought more about it and realized, you know, there are many acts of respect that are not considered politically correct. Help an old lady across the street when you really give someone your time and listen to them you know, not farting in public, when you sincerely apologize, respect little children, there, there I use the word, but when you show proper respect to children and elders, that, that's, that's, those are manifestations of respect, not political correctness, of course. And I, I mean, I know the idea is silly, but the idea is we're trying to see, like, are they the same? And in that same vein of thought, there are many disrespectful acts spitting on somebody, using profane language, gossiping, being lewd, farting in public, those, those come across as disrespectful, but they don't register on any sort of political correctness meter. And even like our music and movie industry is full of disrespectful depictions, but people are jeering, people are, are soaking it up and laughing. It's not a cry of indignation when there's disrespect. It just changes though, once the rudeness jumps from an individual to a specific kind of group or category of people. And that's where I think the PC meter starts to pick up a signal. Uh, but even then there are these nuances. Like if I were to quote a line from a movie with a funny British accent, usually people laugh. Or if I were to do a Russian accent, it's kind of funny. You know, and I'm, I'm of English descent. My ancestors were slaves at one point, but it's so far back in history that the, dare I say, sensitivity has long faded. It's no longer a feeling for us. It's just fact. 
So it doesn't cause much problem, right? It's not a recent uh, dispossession of power. It's a long time ago. And that, that identity has changed. But now if I were to do that same funny quote with an Indian accent or a Chinese accent, I would, I would immediately be on thin ice. You know, people muffle their laughter. They kind of do side glances to make sure that Pat from HR didn't overhear. And there's this fear that sets in. So there's this, it's a nuance even amongst categories of people. But I don't think that we're dealing with respect here because fear-motivated compulsion is not respect, at least not the respect that I know. The idea that if you comply, you're converted is dangerous. And I don't think that pressuring people to submit to like an arbitrary standard will really bring us together. So maybe we need to ditch that and think, well, maybe it's a, it's a way to, maybe political correctness is a way to care for humanity, to make the world a better place or to, to, to have a love for society. But even that does not seem possible. It's not uncommon to hear someone blame the evils of the time on society. And someone might say, that's an overgeneralization, but they're not going to deplatform you. you know, it's, it could be an embittered misanthrope who blames everybody and blames the world and blames humanity for everything that's wrong with him or with society. But that's really more likely to incur contempt than a political correctness backlash. I think humanity and society as a whole is just too vague. It's too abstract a concept for political correctness to address. Perhaps there are people that believe that by practicing political correctness, we're going to make the world a better place. We're going to benefit society at large. And perhaps it might. Perhaps positive, decent actions might also. But political correctness is bounded in its effectiveness. It doesn't have the ability to ascribe value to the the single individual, let alone humanity, it really only knows categories. It only operates in categories, from what I can tell. So I don't think that one works. But perhaps we could even think of it as, well, maybe political correctness is another way of demanding more tolerance. And I think we're getting closer to the truth in this example. And it's sad that there is intolerance. Me trying to understand what's behind political correctness is not an endorsement for whatever the opposite is, you know, the intolerance, bigotry, or whatever. I'm just trying to figure out the standard, okay? To be correct means to adhere to a standard. So what's the standard and what's its moral basis? That's what this is all about. So I'm sad that there's intolerance, but I don't know if we demand something that it makes it so. And what would it even take to make an intolerant person become tolerant? What would that take? I think it would take real work, real moral persuasion, and not just a, a set of rules that you download or that you hear from the news. And so I think tolerance is a good means towards building a better society. And again, what's that mean? We'll just, <laughs> we won't define it right now. I think tolerance though is a good means, but it's not a good end. Because if if political correctness is a quest for more tolerance, what sort of mesh of morals will restrain it from becoming intolerant? 
you know, what, what will restrain it? What will keep it from going over the edge in its zeal for more tolerance? And I think Karl Popper said it better. He said, quote, unlimited tolerance must lead to the disappearance of tolerance. If we extend unlimited tolerance, even to those who are intolerant, if we are not prepared to defend a tolerant society against the onslaught of the intolerant, then the tolerant will be destroyed and the tolerance with them. So when tolerance is, is his own end, I think it can run wild. And tolerance cannot fight intolerance by becoming intolerant. I keep saying that word, but there's a paradox here. You know, it, it doesn't work when tolerance would have to become intolerant of intolerance. Then it's no longer tolerance. It's no longer a virtue, but it, it becomes the beast it set out to destroy. So I'm not advocating, again, I, I feel like I need to say this, I'm not advocating indifference, passivity, or just pretending like these problems don't exist. Victor Hugo, in a, a little section in Les Miserables, gives a parenthesis on what conditions we can respect the past. And he, he illustrates this need for action and balance. He says, quote, let us attack, but let us distinguish. The characteristic of truth is never to run to excess. What need has she of exaggeration? Some things must be destroyed, and some things must be merely cleared up and investigated. What power there is in courteous and in serious examination. Let us not carry flame where light alone will suffice. I thought that was beautiful. It seems like it's within the last couple of years, though. Political correctness is not just about carrying a light to examine or to clear up. It seems to have be turning more into a flame than a light, as it has transformed into not correctness, but correction, the transitive verb of bringing that which is errant towards the standard, right? We don't have a, a department of correctness. We have departments of correction. And that's the logical outgrowth here. And this enforcement of compliance has been called cancel culture, and it can mean a lot of different things. I think generally, though, it's different than just being chided. There's, there's more of an edge with cancel culture. So it usually involves removal from a social media platform, getting fired from a job, basically being forced to apologize or recant publicly. And it can even involve just, just shutting the person down, shouting down. And it's an effective way to punish this non, I don't know if it is effective, but it definitely trying to punish non-compliant speech by withdrawing sort of an official support or economic support or by, you know, it's like to, it's to be pilloried. That thing that, that they used to have in the old, olden days in the town square where you put your head and the, your hands in that, those wooden locks. So why are we canceling others? Why are we, why are we doing this? Are we doing it from care, compassion for their pain? Are we doing it because we feel a burning desire to respect others? I don't think so. It's really about social pressure and fear. It's a leveling process. And Stephen Fry, who was arguing uh, against the proposition in that monk debate, put it really well, I think, at the end of his argument. He said, quote, The liberals are liberal in their demand for liberality. 
They are exclusive in their demand for inclusivity. They are homogenous in their demand for heterogeneity. They are somehow undiverse in their call for diversity. You can be diverse, but not diverse in your opinions and your language and behavior. And that's a terrible pity. That's what he said. Another wise man once said, Aristotle, anything that we have to learn to do, we learn by the actual doing of it. Like activities produce like dispositions. In practicing virtue, in practicing anything, piano, riding a bike, whatever, we will obviously mess up, right? We will mess up from time to time. But if a mistake becomes a social crime, will we even dare to try? If it's, if it's a crime to fall down, if it's a crime to play the piano, will you even dare to take lessons? Who will dare to be virtuous? Who will dare to even be politically correct? And that's what I think it's the irony of it all. We, we basically need to become robots if it, if it becomes that mechanical. And if you will be punished like an inexpiable crime. So this isn't just supposed to be me bagging on political correctness. I, I really have thought a lot about it. But also, if not this, then what, right? And I've been asking, what is political correctness? Because I really want to know what its moral core is. And I'd really love to get, I'd really like to know, and I'd really like to get down to that level and flesh it out. I don't think there is a moral core. And I think we need to talk about a different question. I think the essential question and the essential issue is how ought we as humans to treat other humans? And the question behind that question would be, well, then, well, what's a human? Are we different than just a mound of meat or just another animal? Is there any basis for seeing people as part of the divine, part of the transcendent, just truly special? Or are we just material, just atoms? And I think that is an important question. It's not a new question, and it deserves deep thought. And I think we can't pave over it with slogans. And to do deep thought, we need the capacity for deep thought. And that means we need to speak. We need to think. We need that room to make errors. It's like we're not going to learn Rachmaninoff without making errors. We, we need the room to practice and develop the skill. If we are to discover the truth, and I, I think that is our real purpose. One of the reasons why we're here is to discover the truth and then to conform ourselves to it. So... In a way, it's to be correct, but correct to the truth and not to a, a fad or a fashion or peer pressure. And if we're going to do that, we've got to use our minds. We've got to speak. We've got to think. We should ponder and discuss why humans deserve respect, why we should be sensitive to each other, why we should love each other, why we should be tolerant. Those are great questions. I'm not saying they don't have answers. I think they do. If anything, though, we should really be sensitive to well-meaning but misguided value systems that are really just a cloak for the will to power. We should be sensitive to things that are going to take away our sensitivity, if that makes sense. So I think it's a choice between do we go for shouting down or dialogue? Do we go for just protest 
or persuasion. And ultimately, that's a choice between force and reason. So I think our only hope of healing, because heaven knows there's a lot of healing that really needs to happen. Again, I don't make, I'm not saying that the basis for, for um, calling for political correctness isn't there. Because I, no doubt, like no doubt there has been wrongdoing and, and we have not been all we could be. No doubt that people have been hurt, not just, but not just categorically, right? Individually. So I believe our only hope for healing, categorically you could say, but individually too, is not a slogan and it's definitely not suppression of the, indivi of the individual's ability to think and speak. Because if we do that, then we, we suppress our ability to deliver the fatal questions that will confound ignorant and harmful speech in the first place. You know, anybody can shout, anybody can shout at someone, but who has the ability to dismantle a diatribe, right? That's, we can't lose that. And of course, in the process, we are going to step on others' toes. We will offend other people, right? It's going to happen, but we're not just trying to avoid. That's not the end all be all. We're trying to actually do good, take positive action. So I think our aim in life should be more than to be just a soft bubble that offends nobody. I don't think that's life. I think that's a marshmallow. And when you're a marshmallow, you're pale, malleable, and easy to roast. So wrapping this up, I wrote this to help clarify my thoughts, to help me think about the issue more on a vertical scale, up and down, what's beneath it, what's above it. And I've also tried to convince you like, sort of like Obi-Wan Kenobi, this is not the morality you're looking for. I suggest that we examine our standards. We look along things that demand correctness to see what standard truth or fact is behind them and, and then determine whether they're good or not. Lastly, I submit that dialogue, persuasion, and reason are the indispensable life preservers of civility, if you will. They keep decency and humanity afloat. And any society that loses them loses itself. And it seems to me too that political correctness feels constrained by these life preservers. It would rather have the freedom to flounder than to float. But no society I know of has ever really learned to swim without them. They drown. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this was helpful. I hope this gives you some mental tools to think around this salient topic. And until next time, take care.